Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. And in some ways, I'm sad to say, in some ways, I'm delighted to say that the age of the preview is over and the age of the season has begun. My name is Jack <laughs> Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Oh, I'd love to kick it off with a Lord of the Rings reference. Well done. Yeah, I thought I thought it would it might go over the heads of some, but I thought it was worth having. Me, so Dean De- De- definitely didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. That's that's what we're all about here. It's uh, it's not well, alienating me. Well, it's not going to be upsetting people who don't get it, but it is going to be a little Easter egg in there for people that do. And okay. of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you? I'm toxic, Dean, today, mate. I'm going at people. I'm get ready for this. I'm going to batter a few people in this podcast. Toxic Dean returns. Um, it's what it's what the people want. People like uh, this mask I put on. I'm not going to do it every week, but when it goes on, it goes yeah. on. You know, the world's most coming. positive football people podcast. Know what's coming. And Toxic Dean. It's a, a match made in heaven <laughs> in, in so many ways. Uh, today we're going to be talking about some players who need to get a move on, literally, uh, who need to be leaving the clubs they are now for their own sakes, the sakes of their career, whatever it is. Sam is going to be preparing a list of those who really, really need to switch clubs before the end of this transfer window. But before we get into all that, it's time for the return of Things We Love. And Sam, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, it's a simple one for me, actually. Um, what I love is that Man City have managed to sign two boyhood fans of their club this summer. Um, now, we're not pretending that these are, you know, youth graduates born and raised in in Manchester, or at least one of them. One of them was definitely not. Um, but... Uh, two players that they have signed for a relative amount of money grew up as City fans and they've managed to dig dig out pictures of themselves age seven or so wearing Man City shirts. You know, first it was Erling Haaland and they recreated that uh, that picture of him on the couch with the signing video, which was pretty cute. Um, and now Sergio Gomez, who they signed from Anderlecht, who fittingly is uh, number 10 who plays left back. Um, he was also a City fan growing up as well. And there's a picture of him in a City kit from when he was sort of seven or eight as well. It's really sweet. Um... But it's also really weird. And the reason for that is because we're just not used to people from outside of the UK name-checking City as the team they supported as a kid. It's just not something we're necessarily used to. Mm. But I guess if you think about it, footballers who are aged 19 or 20, like Sergio Gomez right now, were basically 10 and 11 when Aguero entered the league and transformed Man City. And what has followed is a decade of dominance. Yeah. And... As a result of that, City made an impression on these players when they were 10 and 11 or maybe even younger, and they've they've taken them on as their club. And it's not exactly the same, but I, I remember thinking when I watched Wissam Ben Yedder go to Monaco a couple of years ago, and he said in his interview, oh, I'm delighted. Um, I supported Monaco as a kid. I said, did you? No way. Like, what are you, what are you on about? There's no way. But then I thought about it. And I thought, hang on a minute. When Ben Yedder was four, five, six years old, Monaco were in the latter stages of the Champions League, semi-finalists often. When Ben Yedder was 14, they made the Champions League final and lost it to Porto. It actually makes pure sense. So look at what success does for a club. Look at what sustained success does for a club. A decade of dominance for City. And they've got players growing up in different countries here who are supporting them as, as kids. And you know what? It's just nice to see that City have signed two City fans. Okay, yeah. they're still big money deals, but they're still City fans. Yeah, I, I like this a lot, and and I completely agree with you. I was gonna, I was gonna kind of come on to that point, but you uh, you massively handled it yourself, actually. So I'm not gonna go too far into it, but that is it. We are now in an age where growing up as a City fan is kind of just standard, right? Glory for, for people everywhere. around the world. Well, I mean, look, this hilarious. Oh, people, all people are glory <laughs> hunters. No, but it's true, isn't it? Like, this is the I'm thing. Man City, Man City fans spent years calling people's point me like glory hunters because, of course, you are. Like, as you're a kid, you want to support a good team. Like it, it does go hand in hand, and like Man City obviously didn't have any foreign fans because they weren't very good for a long time, and that's mm. fine. But you know, it comes around to bite you because they also, you know, Man City fans like the diehards, and they probably don't like how many tourist fans they now have. But it is a reflection of a successful team, isn't it? Like, and and that's yeah. part of it. You've got to embrace it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, City are also now just a global brand. You know, growing up, for me, City were a team that I used to like City because they always used to fill the the away end at Craven Cottage, even in the in the lower tiers, right? And I remember Fulham coming up right at the start of uh, when when I started going to football and whatever, Fulham coming up sort of in, in kind of tandem with Manchester City. And so there's always been that kind of thing going on. And now you look at it and we're obviously further along the line. And we've seen this a couple of times this summer, right? You saw the pictures of, of Alexander Zinchenko going to Arsenal and him being like, I was an Arsenal fan growing up. And because of that era, Arsenal mm. was so dominant, right? And and that's one of those things that's always just going to kick across. And for people growing up playing football, they're obviously going to be watching as much as it's great to be, you know, you have Sergio Gomez and he will almost certainly not have City as the first club he ever supported or the team, you know, he grew up going to see week in, week out. It's not going to be that, but he will be like, there's the team that I supported in the Premier League or I had a soft spot for at the very yeah. least mm. and I think it's cool that we're, we're seeing this new era um, and it's also something that people are going to have to get used to I've seen a lot of it on you know on social media oh is he really of course he's a City fan what did he grow up loving Sean Gother and you know, Nicky Weaver exactly and, and obviously oh, it's, yeah. not, it's that. not that anymore is it it's you not know, this is it that, this gener- is that generation watched, watched Yaya Torre and Aguero and David Silva arrive in yep. the early 2010s and absolutely batter everybody I'm afraid we're all just really old. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's a, how it is. Point. Um, but it's yeah, a, a nice one, Sam, and, and it is is a nice touch to see when people people unveil those things. I thought it was a nice touch when Zinchenko did it. I think it's a nice touch today on uh, Sergio mm. Gomez as well. So uh, well done, City, and well done them for digging out those photos um, because it does make it. I imagine that you know the City fans are. It's a pretty heartwarming thing to see in, in, in so many ways. And we've seen some nice things on, on Twitter from City fans who, who are just enjoying the idea of these, these players growing up as City fans alongside them, which is, which is mm. a cool one. Definitely, definitely. Um, right, over to you, Toxic Dean. <laughs> well, I'm going to be quite nice in this part, actually, oh, because the, good, thing that is love, the, point. the thing I love is that Arsenal fans can actually be proud of their team. They actually have a team they can be proud of and that are showing they might actually be successful. And this is where other teams, Man United fans, I'm mainly talking to you here, need to have long, long vision as to what could be at the end of the road because you have to be patient through these dark days. And Arsenal fans have definitely had some really dark days. They've been the meme team, Meme United, for years now, like basically before Wenger left then obviously since Wenger left like it's been a long time since Arsenal were actually good and actually heading and seeming to have any direction and um, I guess a vision for what they wanted to represent as a football club and actually like the way they're playing now it does actually remind me of of times of peak uh, Wenger at times like the, the fluidity of the team and the type of football that they play it is it is really nice and more than that the the identities of the players are people that you want to relate to and you want to connect with um and they finally got there they finally there look I'm not going to go overboard like some people are and say Arsenal are ready to crack the top three because we don't need to be there yet Arsenal need to try and crack the top four that's where they need to be and at the moment they're showing that they're going to and they've got players that you just love to watch and the style of their attacking is just brilliant to watch and I'm just happy for those Arsenal fans, especially all our listeners that are Arsenal fans and have had to put up with some absolute nonsense over the years, um, whether it was Hector Bellerin being a melon, whether it was Al Bamiang doing all sorts of rubbish just because he was fed up with his time there, whether it was some of the genuinely just not very good players and visions and managers that they've had put in place. It's all starting to be put behind them now and, uh, and I'm pleased for them because every fan deserves to, to come out the other end of the tunnel so I think Arsenal might be there yeah, yeah. I, I like so I like I like a couple of parallels here well actually no one parallel one juxtaposition the parallel is AC Milan Milan were mm. also like the absolute meme club of Italy for about seven years like they're up until two years ago they were absolutely horrific and some of the players that turned out for them like Kevin Constant and Jamal Mesber and those guys like it's it's absolutely iconic stuff some of those team sheets the graphics that you get from Milan they've got they've done a very similar trajectory and it's taken it's, it's amazing how long you spend in the doldrums even as one of the great institutions of football and the patience is required but the juxtaposition I like is obviously this is all happening at the same time as like the first three episodes of this Amazon documentary come out and you've got this like chasm between where Arsenal are now emotionally, um, but also like, you know, from a talent perspective, from a, from a harmonious perspective and 
basically this time last year where, you know, fan cams outside the Emirates were just absolutely lapping it up and people shouting about Arteta's got to go. And yeah. look, they had a bad start, obviously three losses in a row, went to the international break, bottom of the table, hadn't scored a goal. It was it was awful. It was one year ago. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, not not even in fact, that, not even completely. Yeah, this true. was just the anniversary of the Brentford loss. Never mind the next two. That's a good yeah. way too to to understand how when your club's in a crisis, because Arsenal Fan TV obviously took off big time when they were really rubbish, and now Man United fan channels are having seeing numbers like they've never seen before. Like you know, fan rants on Twitter are doing incredible numbers for Man United at the moment. And because yeah. all the other teams are absolutely loving it, and even the Man United fans are kind of embracing it because they're like, "What else are we going to do?" Um, <laughs> but yeah, did you see the United fans turn on the players at the end of the Brentford game? It was pretty bad. If you haven't seen it, like, I mean, a few people like throwing stuff at them. They were like properly getting at them, like they want them like out. Like it's got bad, bad, really bad. It's um, bad energy, isn't it? Bad it is energy really in the bad room. energy, but I kind of don't blame them. I mean, I, I kind of get it, but not sure what it's going to, not sure what you gain by throwing something at them. But yeah. I, you know. It's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Um, obviously, people lap up other people in the way, I, th- I think especially with United, because for a certain generation, um, Man United was so dominant, yeah. right? And then I think it's probably just before me, really. But, the, mm. you know, the first kind of years... I remember the end of this where United just won title after title after yeah. title. There must have, there must be, you know, for people sort of, well, I would say of your two ages, yeah. um, where it was just a United period of just, you know, where they just kept going. It was, it was almost relentless. And so I'd imagine that people who had to sit set up and, you know, I've seen City fans do this, but I'd imagine Liverpool fans are exactly the same. You know, they're, they're kind of enjoying this suffering because they're like, this is what it was like for me. And especially, yeah. you know, I've seen Stephen McInerney write about this the other day and saying, as a kid, you know, being a City fan in Manchester at school, it was like, you know, every day was like, ah, oh, yeah, they're well good, aren't they? Like, you know, this, this, is, this is it. Unfortunately, I've just got to deal with this. Um, and, and so now that United are, you know, on the other end of this wheel, if you will, they're at the bottom of the wheel as it goes round. People are, people are loving it. And, and, and that's kind of how it is. But I think your point about it going out the other side of the tunnel is, is right. At some point, these things do come to an end. They do come around, yeah. And, like and there, there is always a... Yeah, you know, football, as we've talked about many times before, like it comes in cycles and you've got to enjoy your times at the top because you will have your time at some point at the bottom. So that's part of being a fan and it's all part of the journey. If you were just winning constantly and if United was still winning titles every year since Fergie left, it would be so boring by now. Like, Mm. but once they do get back... I don't know, maybe they will never win another Premier League, but like it's going to obviously be still be a way off. But like one day, Man United probably will win the Premier League again, even if it's in like seven years' time, eight years' time. It could um, be further. But it could doesn't be further, matter. but whatever it happens, that moment is going to be worth the wait and probably better than 10 of the ones that they've actually had uh, in not-so-distant memory. Yeah, I know Liverpool fans felt like that, you know, a couple of years back. Obviously, it was a little bit different in that they couldn't be in the stadium. But that release of energy and the release of all that build up over the years of hurt, if you will, yeah. um, is such a, an amazing thing. But yeah, no, I like that. Um, very, very good. Two, two nice things there lads um, so very very good um i'm going to finish this off in italy where i just want to talk about what was an absolutely mad first weekend in Serie A. zero draws zero draws 10 games 10 wins 10 losses obviously um, oh, that's a dream for an acker you never put draws on ackers really do you that's, that's the one um, and actually italy was a beautiful one for an acker this this week because to be perfectly honest with you pretty much all the favorites won um, so if, if you had just backed the favourites in Italy, you, you probably would have come out on the top this weekend. 34 goals, an average of 3.4 a game, obviously. Um, late winner for Inter, where Lukaku scored in his return. They really left it late. Uh, Denzel Dumfries turning up as a striker, as Sam would love, uh, bundling one home in the 96th minute to beat newly promoted Lecce, who were excellent. Very, very impressive. Uh, Napoli won 5-2 against Hellas Verona. They had five different goal scorers, including a or a debut goal and an assist for Quidditch Quaratskelia. Um, so that was very, very impressive. A lovely debut from him. Victor Ostermen scored. He's off the mark. Zielinski scored a lovely goal. Politano scored one. And, and Stanislav Lobotka, who stepped into the side in the absence of Fabian Ruiz, just like marauded through midfield and started a beautiful goal home uh, at one point. Uh, Juve had Di Maria and Vlavic linking up nicely. Now, Di Maria got injured. is the only downside yesterday. But 
Juve weren't brilliant, but won three nil, and and that's kind of okay because the hallmark of Allegri's Juve was yeah. not playing that. I well mean, I have to admit, when it was nil nil, I did. I, I, the first goal was quite oh, important in that game, wasn't it? Yeah, like I I thought I had that two one prediction on Patreon. I was like, you know what? I needed that as a joke, but actually. Actually, this could happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. A hundred percent. There were two red cards in Lazio Bologna, including an absolutely nutty one for Sam's old friend, Luis Maximiano, um, who did exactly what Horodetsky did the other week. But uh, but worse, because he wasn't waiting for the ball. He went out to claim it, just dived outside the box, sent off six minutes into his debut. Melanish stuff. Not ideal. Yeah, Melanish stuff. There was a lot of contenders this week, though, so we'll get on to that one. Um, There was another one, uh, Fiorentina, another Melan contender, Jonat Radu, who dropped a 96-minute cross from Manchikora over the line, meant that Fiorentina won. But there was also an Olympic goal which is something you don't see all that often. A goal direct from a corner mm-hmm. for Kemenese. Fiorentina very nearly did a Fiorentina. And despite being 2-1 up against a newly promoted side at home and with their opposition having 10 men, conceded an equaliser. And it took some absolute dramatics at the end to stop Fiorentina drawing their first game, which would have been a travesty. But alas, you are, this, is, this is the kind of nature of the club. What was it that Chiellini said? Uh, this is the history of the Fiorentina. Um, so yeah, <laughs> this is very much the history of Fiorentina so uh, thankfully it got over the line but it, it did look a little bit sketchy for a long period at the Frankie um, there was the woodwork hit four times in the game between Atalanta and Sampdoria uh, Atalanta won 2-0 but Samp hit the woodwork three times including a lovely chip from Quagliarella who came off the bench um, and with Chichi Caputo might form the oldest strike partnership of all time that's a 39 year old and a 35 year old up top for up top for uh, for Sampdoria at times that's a, a long one and we've got Rome the first instance of Roma's trident, uh, Zaniolo, Abraham, and Dybala. So what we're saying is Z-A-D. I think I'm going to call them the Dazzler. Okay. Oh. That's, I think that's a nice name for the trident. Now, it wasn't okay. all fun and games. the Zad army? Zad army. Zad army. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about that. Um, but... They, they weren't perfect, as Sam and I discussed in a little bit more depth on Monday's post box, but there was plenty of signs of life, I thought, uh, from the three of them. So that was exciting. And, of course, Champions Milan fought back from twice from a goal down uh, to win 4-2 in a yeah. very good second half performance from Milan. So, yeah, lots of fun in Serie A. Like, oh, yeah, there was. Do you know what? On Just go back. I don't actually often bet. I don't normally do hackers, but I, I did do one this weekend just to liven up my weekend, basically, because the kids were ill and I, I needed some escapism. Anyway, so... So I picked seven games. Ah, oh, this really annoyed me. Villa to win, done. Arsenal to win, done. Brighton, Newcastle, draw, done. You put a Man- draw in your acker. I did. Nice. Brighton, Newcastle, it just seems so obvious, that one. But it, Man- does, it does wonders for the odds, doesn't it? It does, and that's the thing. You've got to throw one in there. Man City, Bournemouth, done. Um, AC Milan, Udinese, done. Lecce versus Inter, just about done. The last one, lads. Leipzig, Leipzig, Cologne. Leipzig, oh, no. Sober Slice sent off in the first yeah. half, but Leipzig was still winning. To, they still were getting the job done and they let in a late equaliser. It was two, yeah, two. It was an own goal, wasn't an it? An own Gavardiol, goal own from Guardiola as well. Like, oh my God. Killer, mate. That is, that is brutal. On the floor. I'm sorry for you, It would have won about 200 odd quid. It would have really perked up a rubbish day um, as it was. Yeah. Worse. So cheers for that. Imagine. Um, cheers, yeah, Guardiola. Well, cheers, Sober Slice. We talked about Lukaku scoring on his return to Inter. Timo Werner scored on his return did, to Leipzig yeah, yeah. as well. A good weekend for Chelsea or ex-Chelsea boys returning to their former clubs yeah. um, is how I would put it. But there we have it. There are our things we love this week. Um, we will be back, of course, after the break to talk about players who really need that move. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it is time for our main ranking. Sam, over to you. Yeah, it's players who really need to move clubs. Uh, We do this every year. We take a look at the situation about two weeks out from the end of the window. You know what? For about three years, this was basically just like Gareth Bale and Isco territory. But times have changed and uh, these guys have moved on. So it's time for for some others to step forward. This um, is a staple. I like it. I like it. I like yeah. a rag staple. I do. Uh, do you mind if I start with a few caveats as usual? I, I don't mind at all, mate. Off you okay. go. Yeah. So I'm not going to speak about anybody that we already covered a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the best players available. 
because there's no need to really tread on that ground again. So Kelly Navas, you know, Florian Grilich, Frankie de Jong, those guys, we're not going to cover them today, but obviously there's, there's this conversation there. On the subject of Frankie, I'm also not really interested in joining the chorus of boos towards Barcelona's bomb squad. Um, all of those players the club are currently trying to shoo away with a big stick. I am not going to add fuel to the fire. I'm also not going to talk about Diego Demi, uh, just for your benefit, really. You know, uh, obviously we all know he needs to leave Lapoli, Napoli, but... Um, yeah, why well, go well, over considering Lobotka got the nod over him in the first game, you're like, oh, I, I saw yeah. the pain etched on Sam's face as I as I delivered that news. <laughs> He's up, got to go. Time. He's got to go. Anyway, two weeks left of the window and the five guys we're about to talk about very, very badly need a move. And I've kind of picked them out across Europe because I think their careers have come to a standstill. Obviously, there's lots of players that could that could benefit from a move upwards or downwards. But these guys, I think, really need to actually start get, like kicking on again. And I think they've actually reached a genuine standstill. Um, so that's why I have picked them. And I'm going to start at number five with Adama Traore of Wolves, who nearly joined Spurs in January, should have joined Spurs in January, by all accounts. Instead, got loaned to Barcelona. He's come back. He's played 12 minutes as a substitute across the first two games. Mm. Wolves have just signed a fast, direct wide forward in Gonzalo Gedge to add to their other fast, direct wide forward, Huang Hee Chan. Wolves appear to have mentally moved on from Adama, but it's possible they've forgotten he's still contracted to the club, so they haven't actually contractually moved on, to, on from him. He's still an employee. At 26, This is he's come to a standstill, and he clearly, very clearly needs a move, and everyone seems to be in agreement. It just hasn't happened yet. I'm not sure what's going on with him. He's not even playing, is he? Like It's like... He came on for the last couple of minutes against Fulham. Last couple and, of minutes and, against and, Fulham. And, and, Anthony Robinson <laughs> bottled him up, so that was fine. What is that about? Again, they're drawing nil-nil, and Adama Traore gets a few minutes. Like that—that that is nonsense, isn't it? One to look out for Chelsea. Um, always had him in the in the background for, for as interest. Um, and at the moment, you know, obviously going after Anthony Gordon—that's the, the high-profile one um, that's being talked about right now. And but I think it's worth realizing that Chelsea still want two forwards to come into their attack. Anthony Gordon is also quite versatile, so like he's not going to play like the position we saw him play last weekend for Everton. Like he's going to be. Um, a midfielder slash attacker. Um, and he's so young that he's still progressing and learning. Um, so we've seen them going after like um, Chukwameka, um, Slanina. There's another guy, Kaiside, I think his name is, at Inter. Kaiside. Um Yeah, so like, there's there's that style of player that they're signing right now, but they're also trying to sign, well, they've got Koulibaly, Sterling, and they want another forward who's got that, that Premier League experience we've talked about before, like... Obviously, Albamiang or, or Vardy or Zaha, like mm. Ronaldo, probably not, but you never know. Um, but I imagine like Adama could come into that idea. Like he's a, he's a Premier League experienced attacker who would add some threats to that attack. They just, they're just lacking something, aren't they, at the moment, Chelsea? And it wouldn't surprprise me if they were to add Trio. He's so adaptable to, to the formations that Chelsea are using at the moment. They could use him in about three different positions. Wouldn't surprise me if we saw him go there. The Tottenham one seems to be dead. Very weird how you can go from Wolves to almost to Tottenham to Barcelona to back to Wolves, but not even in the Wolves team. And you're two weeks away from the deadline and you're still just sat there. Something's got to happen. Yeah, it, it's a really weird move, this. But I also don't like Chelsea after him at all because Chelsea have a lot of profiles in this attack, right, who are good at certain things. They're good at pressing. And, and, you know, they, they're, they're a good creation attempts, but they can't put the ball in the back of the net. This is what we've seen of the, of the last thing. Now, Sterling was brought in to try and rectify this problem, which makes sense. Um, but as we saw at the weekend, he was trying to set up chances for himself at a certain point. <laughs> he, he needs some help. Now, Adama Traore is at best a streaky finisher, but I would say perfectly not a very good one. Um, yep, yep. And Anthony Gordon isn't a brilliant finisher either. He's also good at the things that Chelsea already have in abundance, yeah. pressing, creation. You know, and, and I think that Chelsea are targeting players who are kind of just the same as the ones they've got. And I find that very, very strange considering what we've seen from Chelsea over the first two games where their goals have been scored by one, a penalty, and then two from defence. Uh, you know, once from a set piece and once from Reese James breaking out a wing back. That That's a worry, I think. That, that doesn't feel like Chelsea are targeting the right profile of players. Although, you know, that said, Tuchel has famously been better when he's gone strikerless. So maybe what do I know? 
Maybe. I mean, look, the rise of like wing back systems and three at the backs across Europe, it, it might it might just be the ticket that gets Adama a nice little move somewhere. It doesn't have to be Chelsea. It could be somewhere else. I think he'd be fantastic in Serie A. And the other question mark here is like, obviously, Denzel Dumfries keeps getting linked to Chelsea. Now, he would he would definitely score goals because he thinks he's a striker, but he's not really the profile of wing back that I think Tuchel would enjoy because I don't I don't see either of Adama or, or Dumfries as as um, as really neat technical players, um, really good in tight spots and good at controlling the rhythm of a game. I, I don't see them as that player. So I don't really see them as perfect for Tuchel. But, you know, if they did end up putting a trigger on Dumfries, and Inter should go straight to Adama Traore. You know, that's that's the sort of thing that could open up. Um, I don't know. I don't know what happens here. He feels like a break glass in case of emergency on uh, <laughs> August 30 for someone, like somewhere who needs something. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah, yeah. Probably go back, back to Barcelona or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone else seems right to back. That's it. Yeah, they need a right back. They do need a right back. Get death um, to wolves. Death. Well, we shall see. We <laughs> shall see. All right, Sam. Who's in the next? Right, number four is going to be Marco Asensio, who doesn't really feel like he's in the picture at Real Madrid anymore. Um, he actually played more than you'd expect last season, but I yeah. think that was more to do with the quantity of games Madrid were involved in, and even then, when you consider the the, the total minutes they had to play, he was still a a bit part figure. Um, he's very, very talented, Marco Asensio, and he's done very well to return from a serious injury. And I will always respect players that have managed to do that. But his big problem is a lack of consistency. And he just does not hit the high notes anywhere near as often as a Real Madrid attacker needs to hit them. And that ultimately creates a glass ceiling above his head, which means he cannot imprint on this team. And look, he's been around for ages. He's won so much silverware. They seem to be not that committed to him and he doesn't seem committed to them either. Like there's a year left on this deal and they're doing a weird like kind of standoffish thing this summer where they're like waiting for each other to kind of commit to another and it's not really happening. And I kind of feel like this is this is a chance for Marco Asensio here to to move on and, and to become a more of a key figure now at age 26 or so somewhere else. Um, the rise of Rodrigo has not helped him. Fede Valverde turning into a workhorse right wing has not helped him. And there doesn't really seem to be a big role for him any longer. And hanging on, he'll play another f- 700 minutes, not do much and leave for free next summer. Just cut the cord, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think this is fair. I, I guess the question then becomes, what level does Marco Asensio go to? Because if he's not mm. consistent enough for Real Madrid, he's probably not consistent enough for any side who want to challenge at the sharp end of the Champions League, you would imagine. Now, there were links to yeah. Liverpool earlier in the summer. That doesn't feel right to me. Um, not only would he be competing with a spot with, with Mohamed Salah, which is never a particularly good idea for anyone, I'd imagine, at this point, um, but also it, it just doesn't feel like a massively cloppy type player. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's, a clip, he's not a clip cloppy. So, unfortunately, I, I think that are we looking here at a team that maybe is looking at the sharp end of the Europa League for, for someone that would really take in an Asensio. It might might be someone who just takes a gamble, who, who needs a little bit of magic, a sprinkle of magic dust and a big name coming in towards the end of this window. Mm, I, I was thinking more like AC Milan or something, like, you know, that sort of thing. Like, it's a step down, but it's not that much of a step down. Mm. I don't think we're talking about a Europa League team. I think he's still Champions League quality. No, I know, but would he rather go and win things? Yeah, I know know that doesn't apply to Milan, but you know know what I mean. Yeah, Mm. I know what you mean, but uh, I don't think he has to take too too far a step down. It's just, you know, not to to criticise Asensio too much there, but the bar to be a a Real Madrid attacker is just like, it's in the sky, you know? You've got to match up to Benzema and Vinicius. Just absolutely outrageous. He's just not quite there, but he could play for a lot of other clubs. And you know what? If you got that run of games and felt more valued and felt like he was being... uh, put into the team and, and given a run, maybe he would become more consistent. How, how easy is it to step into the team every four weeks or off the bench every other week? And you know, when he gets on, all he does is take shots, but it's probably because he wants to score and like prove himself. So I, I wonder what the snowball effect there would be of taking one step back. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I didn't mean that in a particularly negative sense. You know, you look yeah. at the names in, you look at the names in the hat here in, in the Europa League this season, you're talking... Roma, Manchester United, Arsenal, Lazio, Braga, Real Sociedad, Real Betis, Monaco. Like these are big sides. You know, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're you're not, not talking uh, rapid VN. It's fine. I'm not Fair talking. Enough. Yes, no. I, I, I mean, 
top end of the Europa League. Thank you very much. Um, but I, I don't see quite... If he'd gone to Roma before they'd signed Dybala, I would have been like, that's quite interesting. Um, mm. if, if he'd signed for an Arsenal before they'd done his their business this summer, I would have found that quite interesting. I don't know where he goes in the, in these spots now. You know, Real Sociedad feel like he doesn't. they don't really play with that type of player unless he was playing in a front two. Um, mm. Betis play with wingers, but... I mean, I don't think Betis can sign anyone. It's been a, it's been yeah. an absolute shambles to try and get the squad registered. Um, so, so I'm not sure if any of those are actual options at this point. But it does feel like this is the kind of caliber of club I'd be looking at. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Tough one, but there will be something out there for him if he wants it. But we don't really know where he stands with the club at the moment. So it is another wait and see. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Who's at three then? Right. This is probably the most contentious one. Um, it's Mohamed Kudus at Ajax. Mm-hmm. I know we've barely got started into this season. I'm not trying to draw conclusions off of off very small sample sizes, but I think if I think if I think if Caduce was an important player to the new Ajax coach Alfred Schroeder, I feel like we'd already know it um, because he's an outrageous preseason, and I, and I wonder if maybe that could have tipped it and could have given him a little initial run in the team. But he's played even fewer minutes than Adama Traore. Um, he's got seven minutes across the first two games and. Like I know there are going to be minutes for him. Um, I know the schedule will hot up and 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 Ajax will need him at certain points. And this is why it's the contentious one, because I think of all the five players we're going to talk about today, Caduce is the one that, of all the clubs involved, probably can afford to lose him the least, because they will need him as a, a sort of fifth centre midfielder and, and maybe a third striker. But that's not a good position to be in if you're the player. It's an ideal player to have if you're the club, but it's bad for Caduce. And... <sighs> He's basically got no better in two years. Since he's joined Ajax, he's, got, he's kind of gone nowhere. And it, it's sad. It's sad that he hasn't been able to get any rhythm, hasn't been able to get a run of games, and hasn't been able to improve at Ajax at any point. And if I were him, I'd be a little bit sick of that, and I'd want to, I'd want to get going. I want a loan, basically. I'd want to get going. But I don't think Ajax are going to be able to stomach the loss here. But the sick reality is that Caduce could walk into Man United's team tomorrow and massively improve the press resistance and the ball progression. And he could do it for a number of other top teams too. Mm. Yeah. Is he one of these players who is kind of harmed by their versatility in so many ways? This is this is my thoughts on him because he can do so many roles. You know, we saw him as a nine in preseason at times. I don't mm. think that's his best role, but we saw him do some very nice things there. Uh, we saw him in centre midfield. We've seen him wide before. That ability to be that kind of Swiss army knife for any manager and if there's injuries in any position... Yeah. means that you're a bit indispensable, but you're also kind of dispensable in the day-to-day, if, if that makes yeah. sense. And and also, Ajax, are, you know, I, I'm absolutely not going to begrudge them for trying to prioritise academy talent. And, you know, this this season, they've tried to bring Kenneth Taylor in through the academy and into the first team. And he's played the first two games. And, and Taylor's been brilliant, you know? Yeah. So, like, again, not, not going to criticise Ajax for prioritising homegrown players. It just leaves a player like Caduce in a really funny situation. And I don't know if he would be able to get a loan, but he could get a loan somewhere and play Champions League football and really improve some teams. He could also leave, but I'd, I'd consider Ajax silly for selling him. But that's why it's the, I feel like it's the contentious one. I sort of couldn't wrap my head around it too well because <sighs> there's so many good scenarios for Caduce to step into, but I don't know if Ajax can can really sanction it. Yeah. Tottenham had an eye on him. Tottenham were, Tottenham were linked. And I think that their, their overall view is like, let's just see this one out. Let's see what actually happens with him. Like we don't necessarily need him right now. So I, mm. I think they might revisit that if he's still not playing um, in the new year, because I think there's probably value to be having in taking him on. Um, but I'm not sure Tottenham really need him. Like you said, there's probably clubs out there right now that need him more than Tottenham. And he probably, if he's going to leave, he was, he's going to want some games, isn't he? Yeah, but there are also like loads of clubs out there who could use him and probably won't won't look at him, won't consider him. I, I don't know why, but it just kind of just kind of feels like the player that flies under the radar a little bit. And then someone really smart like Crystal Palace yeah. somehow ends up buying him or something like that. And it's like, how the hell did they? It's another one of those, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I can absolutely see that happening in like a year's time. He just signs for Palace because everyone misses out on him and he doesn't quite crack the year at Ajax again and. Look, it's not a disrespect to Crystal Palace, but if you spend three years at Ajax, don't progress and end up at Palace. That's not how you wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. And you're setting yourself back. So it's, yeah, it's a tough one for him. But I'd love to, I just love to see him go and play football. He brings me a lot of joy when he plays. Yeah, I mean, you've basically just told me that he's 
gyro Riedewald, which is a bit of an uncomfortable <laughs> place to be. Um, and I don't think that's fair Uh-oh. on the poor lad. I don't think Uh-oh. that's fair on him at all. I feel like that is not okay. Um, but Amicadus is a hell of a footballer. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how that one develops. So yeah, that's a, a very good show. I don't think that's controversial. You said this is the one that would probably cause the most com- conversation. Maybe ah, it's a conversational yeah. one. But yeah. I, I think you, you'll find Ajax fans who will be like, we really like him, but I, d- I just can't see where he fits in at this point. And if you're him, you need to progress. This is, a, you know, you're getting up to some very critical points in your career. Yeah, I think he's 22 now and he's been sort of stood still for two years. But if you ask Alfred Schroeder, he'll say he's a key part of his plans because, you know, again, fixtures come thick and fast in October and he'll get some minutes. He'll just be always in and out, always in and out, never gaining rhythm. And it's tough. It's really tough from that perspective. Okie dokie. Right then, let's go to number two. Right. Number two is Manuel Akanji of Dortmund. Yes, he's still at Dortmund. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. So in the same way that Wolves have mentally moved on from Adama Traore, Dortmund have clearly mentally moved on from Akanji. Mm. They bought two new centre-backs to arrive this summer in Schlotterbeck and Sula. And um, they still got Mats Hummels. And while Akanji has appeared, I think, on the... No, he actually hasn't even been on the bench recently. Uh, they've got Sumaila Koulibaly on the bench instead of him. So Akanji is, I think, on paper, fourth choice. But obviously, while they're possibly trying to get rid of him, he's fifth choice. Um, but he's not even in the matchday squad at this point. Um, I presume it's because he sat in the departure lounge with a suitcase, waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, I don't really know how good he is anymore. Find him, find him very hard to gauge. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't really know who to suggest that he goes to. Um, what I do, what I would say is that there are some centre backs who seem to defy all logic and. Akanji is one of them. He's every tool in the box to be a top, top centre-back because he has great, um, great, great abilities, good on the ball, great physical attributes. But I think he, I think he just makes too many mistakes and it, he hasn't quite grown out of it as he's got older. And it's similar to the complex we had on Andreas Christensen about three years ago where he seemed to have every tool in the box, but he just lacked confidence and, and wasn't physical, wasn't aggressive and therefore wasn't the player that you know, on paper he should be. And Akanji feels like that player. Dortmund clearly have reached the stage where they're not interested in giving him any more chances, not willing to go with him any longer. They've moved on from him. They've bought a whole new central defensive pairing to play. But Akanji's still at the club. Yeah, it's a strange one. I do wonder if in that situation, is he a player that could thrive with a switch to being as part of a back three um, and allowing those weaknesses to be kind of transferred a little bit or covered a little bit more yeah, by, by players but... um you know there are rumors that enter after him and and i don't think that's too bad a shout from from where i'm standing you move him into a defensive line that has so many you know brilliant defenders already in it uh, and allow him to utilize his skill set and his toolbox in in the best possible way whilst not being quite as stressed about a mistake leading to click up opportunities for opposition and therefore in itself kind of eradicating those mistakes but as he as he progresses in confidence maybe maybe i don't yeah i don't know anymore i literally have no because if he goes to inter he's not gonna be starting is he no so you know i'm not saying that akanji needs to move because he needs to play first team football i'm saying he needs to move because his club have literally forgotten about him um so yeah it kind of makes sense that you could just go anywhere a new fresh start or whatever but i don't know what akanji wants from that i don't know if he wants to to play first team football, he just wants wants a fresh start. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. Is there is there any kind of other interesting? I'm um, not the none more that I've heard of. Especially, I mean, uh, obviously, mainly my focus is in England, and it doesn't seem to be anyone here that's been uh, knocking on the door. But yeah, it's a strange one that that he's still uh, he's still there. I mean, it, it, it is a, it's weird. Um, someone will pick him up. Someone will pick yes. him up. Like, well, yeah, someone point. will pick him up and someone you'd imagine will pick up Dan Axel's Agadou, who's just rolling around as a free agent at 23 years old, which just seems absolutely nuts, frankly. But um, here we are. And yeah. I know you're not including free agents in this one, Sam. But yeah. it, it does feel like those two who were pretty much, and I know you know Dortmund weren't completely and utterly brilliant at the back last year. They weren't. You know, they, there, was, there was plenty of things to, to dislike. But equally, you know, they were the starting centre-backs for a team that finished in, in, in the top four in, in Germany. You'd imagine that someone would take a punt on, on at least one of them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, Zagadou's probably got injury red flags and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but Akanji, I don't think, has a particularly bad injury record, unless I'm mistaken. Um, mm. it's, the, it's the mistakes. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Indeed, indeed. Okay, which takes us on to your number one, which I'm intrigued to find out. Number one is Callum Hunter-Nadoi. 
Good one. Mm. Good one. I mean, yeah, Chelsea just don't really have, well, don't seem to have very much faith in him, sadly. Um, again, he's returned from a serious injury. A lot of respect for that. He's had a really, really tough 18 months. Um, I felt quite positive about his his stock coming into the summer. I don't know about you guys, but we've got some good some good preseason reports, you know, trusted his body again. He's got the acceleration back, you know, working back from an Achilles injury, the initial injuries fixed, the secondary injuries you pick up off the back of that, they'd all settled down. But he just doesn't really seem to be part of this team. And I do really feel like Tuchel has a very clear idea of what he wants to roll with this season in terms of what his 11 is and then who his um, plan A, B and, or plan B, C and D is. Like he's got his game breaker in Armando Broja. Um, Pulisic seems to be the next in line. They're still in the market for forwards, as we've discussed. They've already signed Sterling and they want more. I'd say that if Hudson Adoy is, you know, if he's looking at the bottom of his teacup this morning, the leaves will read, you've got to get out of here. And he should, because he's a really good player. He's still really, really young, right? He's 21. Mm-hmm. He's 21. And he's he needs to go and play some football. And I know there's been there's been conversations, Dean, so I'm hoping you tell me something's a bit further on, but he's still there. He's still on the bench at the weekend. Yeah, I mean he's still there, but um he won't be by by the time this window's done. I think um Chelsea are open to him leaving. He's got a big decision to make because he knows he's got so much so many clubs have inquired about him, not just in this window, but in the last two that came before it, to be honest with you, because there just hasn't been much scope for him to play with every addition that's been made to that front line. Um he's got to obviously think carefully about the offers that are on the table. Does he stay in the Premier League? Does he go and try himself? Outside of the Premier League, there are clubs in Europe. The most interesting to me is Dortmund, who we spoke about a minute ago. But like, I would love to see Callum Hudson-Odoi go to Dortmund. I think that is the perfect place for him to go. Bayer Leverkusen have been linked too. Like, if he wanted to go and challenge himself in Bundesliga, I think that's a great fit. Um, just for the style of football they play and the ambition that they've got for this season, particularly, and the fact he'll have he'll really be able to get at people and. Uh, raise his own confidence. I think that's going to be key for Hudson Odoi. Whatever comes next, let's get the confidence going again. Um, ultimately, like Chelsea will have the option of including him as a make way in whatever big deals they do. So, you know, if Anthony Gordon, obviously the talks are ongoing about how they could potentially get that over the line. If you were to say, Frank Lampard, can we include Hudson Odoi in this deal in some way? He's going to be open to it, isn't he? I mean, Frank Lampard would take pretty much any attacker in Europe right now. So he's certainly going to take somebody he knows like Hudson Odoi. Um, but then there are other clubs like Leicester, Southampton, Crystal Palace, uh, Newcastle. There's loads in half the Premier League wants Callum Hudson Odoi because he's great. He's a really good player. He just isn't fitting in with how Tuchel's built this squad. Um, and that's not really a slant on his playing style or the type of character is I don't think it's just bad luck it's it's this is the way that Tuchel's built this team and you don't quite fit in that's okay and he's had a tough 18 months of injury he has had a tough time he's really far behind in preparation and readiness so it's just tough to come back from it'll be interesting to see whether he takes a permanent or a loan that's what Mm. I will be most interested in here because I say I do expect him to go it'd be a bold move to go permanently but sometimes those are the ones that really really define you and actually give you the best chance of cracking it because if you got do the loan thing you're always tempted to go back and try again take Jesse Lingard for example I know he was older when he did it but that loan spell at West Ham convinced him that he could still crack it at Man United and then he wasted another year by sitting on the bench at Man United Um, and I don't want Hudson-Odoi to do that like if he moves and cracks it for a year I want him to stay away from Chelsea and crack it. They'll put a buyback in wherever he goes anyway. So he could always come back one day like most Chelsea players do. And he could do that. That's famously goes well, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't do that. But um, yeah, I think this is it's good that this is number one because I think this is one of actually the most fascinating storylines that we'll see open up in the next two weeks. It seems like a long time ago that Bayern offered, you know, a loan with a 70 million euro option oh, yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. Or a tw- I think the final bid that they put in that window was just a straight 30 million-ish bid for Callum Hudson-Odoi. Well, and, you know, it wasn't long after that he, in- he got injured. Mm. Will that go down as one of the big missed opportunities to actually make money on a player that, that ever was, actually, in terms of, of where he was at at that point and the regard he was, was held in um, that then wasn't kind of tricked in? Because that was... Similar-ish times to the first time that Bayern went after Leroy Sane, wasn't it? And, mm. and obviously, it's it's been very interesting to see 
that kind of develop and and, and the way that their careers have, have maybe a little bit diverged since since that point. So, yeah, I am really intrigued by this one as well. And and I, I'm with Dean. I'd really like him to maybe go abroad for a little while. Um, but if that you know if those if those rumours for a Chelsea bid for Will Zaha are true. I think Hudson Doy would thrive at Palace under Vieira. I like that yeah. a lot. I think that would be, you know, that would be a very sensible maneuver from Crystal Palace as well, right? Obviously, they'd be loath to lose Wilf because he is and has consistently been one of the best players outside the top six for a long time in the Premier League. But he's got a year left on his contract. You're trading him in for a far younger player um, who's also explosive and exciting. And and I think that that would end up being pretty smart business if, if I was Palace. That's what I'd be asking for as part of that deal is, is Callum Hudson-Odoi on a permanent permanent deal going the other way. So it'd be very interesting. Just on this, though, and, you know, Dean, you said at the top of the episode that Chelsea are looking at bringing in two more attackers. You know, one of them is clearly Anthony Gordon. They're looking elsewhere as well. Um does if two more come in, does Christian Pulisic need to get out of Chelsea? Because the, you know he, he's already clearly down with the pecking order here. Yes, he's come on as a sub in the last two games, but this is a player who was brought in to you know to be a game changer, and he is clearly not first team pick at the moment for for Thomas Tuchel. And you'd imagine if two more come through the door, his place in that pecking order is going to slide down even further. Yeah, but the thing is, there's people at Chelsea that want Pulisic to stay. I mean, they've got an American owner now and that, that affects things. Topoli wants Pulisic to have a future there. Chelsea are trying to urge him to stay patient and saying he will get opportunities. Pulisic, obviously the World Cup year, this isn't ideal. He would like the opportunity to go elsewhere if an offer actually came. I mean, Newcastle have shown some interest. Like, potentially could Send go him there. down the road to the cottage. Um, It'll be all right. That would be fun. He could team up with Anthony Robinson, Tim Ream, and the boys. We have a nice time. I'm not against it. I'm not against. There's not many Chelsea players that I'd want at Fulham, but um, I take Pulisic. But yeah, I mean, and also like you know, Werner's gone. Hudson Odoi will be going. Hakim Ziyech will be going. Like they're the three that Chelsea are open to actually going at the moment ahead of um, of him. So yeah. At the moment, Pulisic would be open to a move, but it probably won't happen for him. Mm. Okay, an interesting one. Mm. Uh, lots to happen at the bridge, you'd imagine, between here and the oh, end yeah. of the window. It's Todd Bo, it's Todd Bo season. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all very exciting. Yeah. Him and his big else. loud T-shirt, negotiating transfers. Yes, <laughs> exactly. No, no doubt about it, it's going to be interesting. Um, well done, Sam. Very, very good. Excellent shouts. Any any. Honourable mentions, or we're gonna leave it. Yeah, there? I'm about two hundred, um, <laughs> but uh, I tried to I tried to slim it down as much as I could, and I tried to pick something from most leagues, uh, which I think I largely achieved. And I tried to go multi-position as well. Very good, very good, well done. Uh, a very very good ranking. Right after the break, we are going to see Toxic Dean give his men of the week, and of course, <laughs> there's the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week, hosted by everyone's favourite toxic host. <laughs> Dean, over to you. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Darwin Nunez. <laughs> he's back. He's only been in English football for about six weeks, and he's already got Melon of the Week twice. The first time a lot of people didn't agree with it, this time, I've had DMs already saying, it's Darwin, isn't it? With a lot yeah. of melon emojis. It's Darwin, isn't it? Of course it's Darwin. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of goalkeepers that could have won this award. And I was going to do a ranking, basically, of all the mistakes that goalkeepers had made over the weekend because there was four or five. But here we were on Monday night watching Darwin Nunez on his home debut at Anfield for Liverpool. I mean, it wasn't going well in the first place. I mean... I thought his performance was poor, generally. I thought that Joachim Anderson had him in his pocket. I thought the little tactics, it was nothing. What he was doing to him was run-of-the-mill stuff that you do yeah. as an experienced Premier League defender. There's a great highlights reel by, on Twitter going around that a few people sent me of the kind of, I want to say duel. It wasn't even a duel. It was all of their them. interactions, wasn't all it? All of their interactions and just how annoyed Darwin came throughout the game. But this is just the stuff that he's going to have to deal with on a weekly basis, and more so now because people have seen how rattled he was. Look, yeah, I think Jackie Manderson is actually quite polite in the Panthers. That's the thing. He's one of the he's nicest blokes in the Premier League. So Darwin's <laughs> got big problems coming up when he comes against some of the others. Um, 
first chance he gets, there was that one that he stuck over the bar. Okay, he might have seen that one late. Still thought it was a poor finish, should have scored. There was that other one that hit the post, should have scored that. I mean, once that one hit the post, I was like, here we go. Here we go. There was another one which was like a sitter. Was it Salah that set him up? Um, the defender got a nick on that one at the post, didn't it? I think maybe, or was it? Was there a slight touch yeah. or pressure? But it was, yeah. Um, he still should have yeah. put it away, but he yeah, he's a little scored, bit unlucky. Uh, he should have scored. And then there was another chance, and he missed that. So things were not looking well for our friend. And then he headbutts Joachim Anderson. He becomes the first player of the Jurgen Klopp era to be sent off for violent conduct. He's the first Liverpool player to be sent off on his Anfield debut since Joe Cole in 2010. He's the first Liverpool player to win Melon of the Week twice in a season, I think. Yeah. This is not good. And I mean, like, look, he's suspended now for three matches. Um, he's he's going to miss games. Obviously, it's, it's a big one at the weekend against Man United that he's going to miss. And to be honest, the three games he's going to miss... Man United and Bournemouth, big chances to kind of not only become part, more part of this team, but also like growing confidence because there's opportunities going to be there to, to and score And to become goals. a cult hero against Man United, And obviously. to become a hero, right. yeah. Um, and then they've got Newcastle too, will be the third one. Um, so Firmino will now come back in against United. I just think on the back of a, I'm going to say a poor pre-season because it was, it was a poor pre-season and he, he's not anything like the rest of this team. He's not on the same wavelength as a footballer. There was one cross he put in last night, the one that he drilled just straight into the goalkeeper's arms. You can't do that at Liverpool. Everyone just looked at him like, what are you doing? Like, we weren't there. And I understand, like, you can't... There's not many players, as Diaz might disagree, that can just walk into Liverpool's lineup and settle in. Yeah, what a goal. <laughs> What's a goal and what a player he's <laughs> been to get. As, as once, I think I saw it on Twitter, someone said, as one South American try, tried to dig dig Liverpool further into the dirt, another one picked up his shovel and dug them back out of it. And I was like, yeah, that's a lovely it was description. True. It was true. And, the, and like, this is another thing that's not going to help Darwin is that Luis Diaz went in there so seamlessly as a, as a signing that, that changed them. But now he's not just coming in as a signing that's got to settle in. He's seen as the replacement. I know they're not the same, but he's replacing Mane in that squad. And Mane was a serious figure in that squad. Liverpool now off to a start of two games and no wins. It's not good. They're already off the pace. And there aren't going to be that many opportunities throughout the course of the season to claw that back because Man City will not drop that many points. Obviously, like at the moment, you, I'm not saying they're out the title race just yet, <laughs> but it's not a good start. Like you looked at it's that start of the season and you, Liverpool should have six points on the on the board from playing Fulham and Crystal Palace from their first two games. Every, everyone would have expected Liverpool to be six points up at this point, right? You yes, know, yes, to, yes, to, yes, to have yes. six on the board. The fact that they're four points behind that already is not like a nail in the coffin by any stretch of the imagination, but it's equally not good. I agree. It's a nail it's through the hand. I, I it think, hurts. It I hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it will hurt. And it will hurt that it was at Anfield. And James Milner said this in his post-match interviews. You know, it, was like, it hurts more because we were here and here we expect to win every week. Um, he's like, there's one thing going on the road and, and, and being a different atmosphere and whatever but at Anfield you know no matter who the opposition is Liverpool expects to win against pretty much everyone you know City almost yeah. included in this and and you think you're, you're looking at that and going right so you're already kind of dropping at hurdles that you don't hugely have I don't think it's over equally I think City will drop more than four points this season but that revolves a lot of things going right now for for Liverpool and and, and they have they've put themselves in a, in a position where they're starting from you know four points behind without really getting going at all mm. uh, in, in i'm not going to do there's no defense for darwin doing what he did at all uh, it, it's it's madness and not only did he try and headbutt him once he actually tried to headbutt him twice which yeah. is why jerky anderson reacted in the way that he did darwin goes for him misses anderson grabs him and then does it again you're like yeah, yeah. my guy there's cameras there's yeah. cameras is, and stuff and this is <laughs> this is basically inexplicable um he doesn't have a bad disciplinary record um i think he had one red card before this yeah and didn't really have that many yellows. He's Uruguayan. Like, I'm sorry, but he's definitely played against 
gnarly centre backs in the past. Oh, yeah. I mean, he goes to national team training and turns up and plays against Jimenez and Godin. Yeah, short sure, like this isn't a yeah, case of his training though. They're trying not trying to needle him. Probably. I don't know. They no, might like, in the Uruguay squad. Be, there's going to be a bit of that, and like obviously he's done. A, he's come up against some really really good players in the past. You know, across Champions League campaigns and stuff like that. Like he's played against proper centre halves who were who would have engaged in this kind of behaviour before. Maybe it was the it was the fact it was the home debut. He really I think wants he was to desperate to he's, do well, isn't he? He's, he's so desperate. fired up, and he he's is, crossed he the is. he's crossed the line. It's embarrassing. Now he's a target. Every single centre-back in the Premier League for the next eight weeks will try and do this to him. He's got three weeks to basically figure out how to, how to just keep the right side of the red line and just keep, them, keep from the mist descending because the next time he takes to the pitch, this will happen again and he needs, to, he needs to deal with it a lot better. But he doesn't have a particularly concerning past in this area, I wouldn't say. Yeah, it's mm. a it, it's one of those. Uh, I think you can kind of write it off as that was a huge mistake, massive, um, and he will. No one will be feeling like he is right. He will At be so upset, yeah. and he he will know. It. And Klopp isn't the kind of manager. I don't think it's going to go in and absolutely leather him for it either. He'll be like, right, okay, that wasn't okay, but you know we'll learn from it and we move on. Yeah, what he said he's not going to mention it. Yeah. In terms of you know what you were saying earlier, there were some big misses. I completely agree, but he was in some very good positions. And if he keeps going to those positions, he's going to score a bucket load of goals. No, he does get in good positions. Yeah, he, he's a bit of a chaos merchant too, and that and that and they, you know he's, he's troublesome. I'm not I'm not denying that, and he's he, he'll probably end up being a really good player in this league. But it's the fiery nature of him at the moment, and it, and it, I think it comes from the desire he's got. By the way, his first game back is the Merseyside derby, Everton away. <laughs> Don't play him. <laughs> Don't play him. <laughs> yeah, stick him in. Stick him in. It'll be so Connor desperate Cody's to prove him himself. on a string. He, yeah, because if he gets Melon of the Week in that game, he's getting Melon of the Season already. Right. Already. I'm even, it out if he, there. even if he goes and scores 25 afterwards he's uh, <laughs> he, and, and gets the golden boot, I think he's in trouble. Um, but yes, no, it, it felt like this was going to be inevitable. And, and thus it proved uh, Darwin <laughs> Nunez is Melon of the Week for the second time in this season, which is pretty stunning going, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Right. That is the gibberish style, and I've decided to keep this short now because people have said it was better when I didn't <laughs> do it for ages. So um, there you go. Um, the, don't say I don't listen to the people. That, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> give the people what they want, as they say. Right, Sam, what have you got for us? Yeah, this week's gibberish is uh, my cat's three biggest enemies in life oh, and nice. the tactics that they're using to combat them. Nice. We're going uh, to draw some. We're going to draw some parallels to to football tactics as well. So I can see. Obviously, they sit there and watch the they watch the football with me on TV and that. I can see they're picking things up from different managers. It's very obvious in their behaviour and the way that they're dealing with their enemies. Um, number three is the pigeons that live on next door's roof. Um, I'd say about fifty percent of their day is spent watching and tracking these pigeons from the shadows or from a, a covered position. They, they will never, ever get anywhere near them, right? Like, ever. But they keep watch, and they're very vigilant. And they basically exercise territorial dominance. And it, it appears to be effective. Like, the pigeons never, ever, ever land on our property, never in our garden, never on the balcony, nothing. And never on our roof, either. I see, I see Thomas Tuchel's tactics in play here. I think the cats have got full control of the situation. It's KG. It's done from a distance, but it is effective. And I think they're managing the situation very well, which is something we always talk about with Thomas Tuchel's team. So plenty of Chelsea on my TV, and I think Hero and Akira have been taking notes. Hmm. Okay, all right. Um, I'm interested <laughs> to see where this goes. I'm just going to let you roll on. Yeah, I don't know how weird this is going to get. Number two is the fully grown greyhound that walks in the park next to my house. Okay. Hero, who's my male cat, has this thing absolutely rattled rattled he's in his head non-stop hero sits on the rail of the balcony and just stares at him for the entire time that this greyhound is out for a walk and it goes mad it goes mad barking and barking and screeching and losing its mind and twirling in circles and hero literally just sits there and looks at him the entire time doesn't move a muscle just looks at him he's perfectly safe he's three stories up there's no there's no concern and while we think it's really funny the greyhound's owner is not that amused um, obviously, uh, Hero has done very little from our perspective. Some provocation, but nothing out of the ordinary. Pretty standard behaviour, but nothing to warrant this kind of reaction. You know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> He's Jerkim Anderson. Hero is Jerkim Anderson. This greyhound <laughs> is Darwin Nunez on his Anfield debut. Yeah, just needs. To, it's yes. just the red mist descends. <laughs> and the number one, the number one in this list has to be any pet's greatest foe. It's the vacuum cleaner. This is the only battle by my count that my cats are losing. 
Um, and they're not they're not just losing it. They're they're being given the runaround. Literally, they have no answer to this vacuum. It's aggressive. It covers so much ground. There really is no respite in the battle against the vacuum. It will corner you. It will make you feel very uncomfortable. I think the vacuum is essentially peak Jurgen Klopp pressing, and my cats are one of the many, many, many lower mid to mid range Bundesliga teams that Jurgen Klopp put to the sword. They have no response to this kind of behaviour and these kind of tactics. Do you taunt them with it? I try not to. The Gagan <laughs> Press Vacuum. This is this is a new one for us. This, yeah. is, this is new territory. Um, I mean, do you know I, I really what thought you were going to go with like it's N'Golo Kante. In, I, in I was thinking Kante or Harrison Reed at one point. Yeah, similar players, I mean, similar quality, yeah, very similar. But what we do see sometimes is if you leave the if you leave the vacuum rather than put it in the cupboard, if you just leave it in the corner of the room or whatever, you know, it's off. The the, the coil is you know the, the cord is is wound around it. It's completely off. Sometimes the cats walk past it. And they sort of notice it in the corner and they know it's off and they walk over and they give it a whack. They give it a whack with their paw. They just kind of hit it a few times and then run off. It's as if they're like, well, you're off at the moment. You're not looking. I'm going to get you. Um, and then you turn it on and they absolutely go mental and just run away. So they're sort of, it's almost like they think it's sleeping and it's their opportunity to, to get the better of it. It's really funny. Um, but they obviously, do definitely think it's sleeping, Sam. This is animal instincts. <laughs> they, don't know, they don't know what machinery is. No, they don't. They they really don't. <laughs> but they're losing this battle every weekend. Okay. The house gets a clean, and the cats are uh, yeah, they're hiding. Uh, the cats are getting Brilliant. you know pressed off the park. Fair play. They really are, um, yeah. They're 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 in real trouble. They have no no answer. It's a bit like Man United at Brentford actually at the weekend, right? Trying to play mm. out the back and and just getting pressed to death. Um, oh, yeah, it feels yeah. very similar. De Gea is a lucky similar. boy. There was a lot of melons this week, and De Gea was up there. I can assure you. And Man United, everyone involved in those goal kick routines was was involved in that too. Yeah. It was a shame we didn't get the melon ranking, but uh, sometimes you're just given gifts, DJ. And yeah, and I to, really was given a gift them. there. You have to accept them gratefully, <laughs> I, I think, did. on the whole. Um, Okie dokie on that bombshell. I think we are going to call this a day. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Toxic Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We will, of course, be back next week. Enjoy all the football this weekend. Enjoy the European qualifiers for the Champions League and the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. There's lots of fun to be had. We'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.